wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. My name is Will Moala. I'm the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Churches of Paravista Angola here in South Australia. And we thank you for joining us today. If you've just been joining us um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a very interesting theme. And our theme um, that we're going to carry on to this final week is, Is Protestantism Still Needed in the third millennium. And if you've just been joining us, um, what we've really been doing is taking a look at a combination of human interest, history, and particularly Reformation theology. And today we're going to look at a question to kick off this week with the question, has the church of the reformers fallen away? And so if if you've been joining us here in the last couple of weeks, we're really, um, really ramping it up into this final week. We've been looking at the last three weeks at this presentation. And, uh, today my co-host is Pastor Don Felberg joining us all the way from, uh, Perth, uh, Western Australia. Gad that you're able to present on today's show. Um, Don, are you there, Don? Yes. Thank you, Pastor Will. Happy to be with you <laughs> once again and with your listeners as well. Great, great. So thankful for you to join us, uh, Don. And if you're just tuning in today and you haven't been uh, with us the last couple of weeks, Don has been, uh, we've been catching him uh, via phone all the way from Western Australia. And uh, that's one of the wonders of technology that we are able to connect and to share with all your lovely people today. And so, yeah, our theme this week, we're talking about Protestantism and if it's still needed in the third um, millennium. And Don, you're going to really take us through to this um, really key pivotal question today. Has the Church of the Reformers fallen away? And I'm really interested uh, to hear some of your thoughts on that issue today. I've got some interesting things to share, and maybe I should say some shocking things to share. Okay, well, we'll leave that to you and however the Lord leads our conversation today. Well, we want to thank you all for joining in. And for those who are regular listeners to Drive Time, we always have a free book offer uh, each and every show. And we just want to... um, uh, promote another book in just a few moments but what we normally do at this hour this part of our show we normally dive into our world watch segment and this is where we look at something that's out in, um, on the social media or out there in the news today so today's article that i'd like to um share with our all you all uh listeners out there today is uh yeah it's just an article i just um just was reading just off our the guardian.com um, website and it's basically um, uh, Don I'd like to maybe hear a bit of your feedback as well but I'll probably just read a few lines from the article here and so as you're probably aware that the Pope's um, he's being uh, visiting Canada and um, bit of a reconciliation I guess type of um, uh, visit and so I just want to dive in and share a bit about this article here so the article from guardian.com it says Pope Francis uh, to visit uh, in quote pilgrimage of penance over church run schools I'll just read a few lines here and yeah Don like yeah feel free to jump in and share your thoughts on this because I thought it'd be somewhat related to what we're talking about this week with the Reformation and the Protestant Reformation, all these things. So let me read a few lines of this article here. It says, Pope Francis will spend the next week on a pilgrimage of penance in Canada. 
meeting with Indigenous leaders and residential school survivors as he looks to atone for the church's grim legacy in the country. And goes on to say, Don, for the first papal visit to Canada in two decades, the pontiff plans to visit First Nations, uh, I believe it's Matisse and Inuit communities, as he travels from Alberta to Quebec, ending his visit in the Arctic Territory of Nunavut, I believe that's pronounced. While the head of the Catholic Church will deliver public masses and meet state officials and supporters, much of his trip, named the Walking Together Trip, it's expected to center on reconciliation and recognition of the harms of the church-run residential schools system in Canada. And if you're a bit unaware uh, of what happened there, um, article goes on to say, over more than a century ago, um, at least 150,000 Indigenous ch- children um, were taken from their families and forced to attend the schools, many of which were run by the Catholic Church. And last year, ground-penetrating radar confirmed what Indigenous communities had long suspected, um, that more than a 1,000 possible unmarked graves were hidden on the grounds of dozens of schools across the country. In April, during a meeting with Indigenous delegates at the Vatican, Pope Francis apologised to survivors, formally expressing contrition for, quote, deplorable past abuses. Indigenous leaders have expressed cautious optimism that the visit will refocus attention on the harms of the residential school system and the challenges of reconciliation. Francis is expected to issue his first papal apology when he visits the former Ermineskin, I believe, Indian residential school in Maskwakis, Alberta on Sunday. Forgive me for the pronunciation if that's a bit incorrect. The school was one of the largest in Canada, operating from 1916 until 1975. Hey, look, there's a little bit there to go on in the article, but Don, what are your thoughts? Um, Pope Francis visiting Canada on this pilgrimage of penance, and obviously it sounds like a horrific, uh, you know, tragedy that happened there. Um, if if the article is true about you know these unmarked graves as it were over these church run schools, yeah, what are your thoughts hearing um, Pope Francis uh, traveling to Canada? In well, as the article says, his first papal visit to Canada in, in two decades. What what are your thoughts on what, what can you what do you think we can learn about this uh, recent trip of the pontiff? Well, I think for an eighty five year old to go there and to apologize and. Uh, I think it's a good thing, and I think it would be a an encouragement to many of the local people to think that the wrongs have been acknowledged. I mean, it's just tragic that things have taken place in these schools. It seems like, from the article, a lack of transparency, um, and it's sad where children have been uh, forcibly taken away from their parents and... Uh, put in schools and possibly uh, not able to have contact with them. I, I think it's, it's scars that are on these people that have suffered this way, and I think, um, I think it's, it's a good thing that an apology has been made. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, just a bit further down in the article, um, a lady by the name of Angela White, she's the executive director of the Indian Residential Schools Survivor Society. She's in the article he is quoted as saying, um, 
there, quote, there are past survivors that are not here to witness this. Some have passed away. Uh, some are living on the streets. Um, it's important to acknowledge these people too, the ones who aren't able to witness or be part of this and to honor their experiences as well. End of quote. And then it goes on to say in the article, White said that there had been a wide range of perspectives and emotions leading up to the visit. And it, she says he has quoted, quote, the hope is for those that are open to it, excuse me, that it is a first step towards their wellness journey in healing and towards forgiveness of all the atrocities that have taken place. Hopefully it will help put the horrors of the past on a shelf so that they can start moving on with their lives. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's what you were just saying to just a few moments, you know, yeah, forgiveness in any way is, is, is good thing. It is, and anything that can help that is is a positive move. You know, many of these folk, they it's horrific experiences that they have been through, and uh, you know, some of our Australian Aboriginals yeah. have been through through similar experiences. That's and right. anything anything that can take place that can help that healing, I think, is very positive. It's sad that these things have happened. And it's more sad that they've happened in the name of Christianity. Yeah, actually, you you, you actually just said something quite insightful um, uh, there, Don. Because you know, I was looking at a couple of other articles online. I don't have it in front of me right now, but basically um, covering the same news. And there was a quote from one of the. I guess survivors, if you will. I'm not sure actually who it was, but whether it was a survivor or someone in that space basically said uh, something to the effect of they brought us up to hate the name of Jesus. And, yes. and that's what you're saying is, you know, in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, that these supposed atrocities have um, happened. And so, yes. yeah, very interesting that, you know, from that particular person's perspective that, hey, they hate the name of Jesus because of what had happened in their country, you know, um, with these yes. church-run schools. Yes. We have a, a good friend here in Western Australia. He's 90 years of age now, but he was one of the lost boys of the empire. You know, the British had this plan where... Um, uh, People that had lost their parents in World War II were sent out here. I should say the Catholic Church had this policy. And, um, and, and our friend Tony was sent out here under that scheme. Told his, told, he was told that his mum and his dad were killed. And, uh, later on he found out that that wasn't true, that his mother was, uh, they divorced and his mother wasn't able to care for him. So she had taken him to Nazareth house there in London in a bread basket and dropped at the door so that he would be found. Yeah. And, uh, she later explained to him when he met her years later that, that to many of the mums just put him in the rubbish tin, but at least she she cared for him enough that she put him somewhere where he would be found. But, I mean, he went through a, a very sad experience here in Australia, uh, treated quite roughly, and um, but fortunately for him, uh, when he finished there at the institution and, you know, he grew up and he went out to work, Later on, he found Jesus, and uh, and he he that's the wonderful thing. He's a firm believer in Jesus, and Jesus has healed his 
is hurt. Even though the scars are there, he's found healing through the Lord Jesus. Yeah, praise God, praise God. Hey, I was just thinking as well, just before we um, go to our book offer, you know, when you read articles like this and you hear the atrocities of, you know, of what's happening in our world today, kind of tying it into, you know, how does the Bible respond to that? Just kind of my reflections as we were just reading that just now, Don. You know, I'm reminded of what the Bible says in Romans 12, where, you know, the Bible tells us not to give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And, you know, we live in a world, Don, as you would, you know, agree with so much injustice, so much uh, things being done, you know, um, whether it's in the name of Christianity or religion or not. And there's almost like this cry, as it were, from humanity seeking that, you know, some sense of accountability, some sense of justice. And, yeah. you know, when I think of these these articles and these the news of these uh, incidents that are happening across the world, you know, I'm reminded of this text in Romans, but, you know, Don, as, as uh, that beautiful passage that, that we love um, in the book of Revelation when it talks about, um, you know, the three angels' messages, it says um, the hour of his, his God's judgment has come. And we, we yeah. obviously that's not the topic tonight, uh, today's show, but I, I just want to kind of bring out the idea that um, this idea of judgment or justice, that, that God is a God of justice. And sometimes yeah. right now we can't see uh, where is God. Some people are saying, why doesn't God intervene in some of these atrocities that's happened in the world over, you know, however long that's been happening. But, you know, as believers, Don, you know, the Bible points us to a a day, as it were, or, or a time when all these things will be made right. These things that's will right. come to full, will will have its day, as it were. The last word hasn't been spoken yet, has it, yeah. Pastor? Yeah, amen to that. Well, yeah, and thank and thank God for the judgment. I mean, the judgment is good news. Yes, God. You know, people might uh, hoodwink courts or hoodwink whatever here. Yeah. <laughs> Why would we God in the judgment? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we hope that you enjoyed that um, article. I mean, not to enjoy the content, but just to know that, hey, you know, we do live in a broken world, and um, we thank God for the gospel. That's that's the answer uh, to to all of these um, contemporary issues that we're seeing um, yeah. as well. So. We're going to go to a, big, a bit of a break, Don, but before we do, I'd just like to uh, share with our listeners today our free book offer for that we're promoting today and for the rest of this week. Um, the title of our book uh, offer this week is the title, God's Holy Word, Is It Still Worth Dying For? And I believe yourself and Gary, uh, tomorrow's program, Don, I, I know you guys are going to dive into that as well, but but the... Basically, this book is uh, really talks about um, you know what happened during those um, in the early church during the dark ages, where you know the enemy used counterfeit, um, counterfeiting, compromise, compromising tactics to create a whole false system of religion that hardly resembled Christ's original truth. Uh, the Bible mm. was abandoned, locked up, so no one could read it. And paganism, atheism, and politics were mixed with truth until mostly error was left. But God always had his faithful people, the Waldenses, the Albigenses, the Huguenots. These and other followers stood firm on God's word. Then the events of the great Protestant Reformation occurred, 
And then we have people such as Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome, Luther, and other others stripped away layers of falsehoods and exposed God's truth again. Ah, oh, there's a bit more of a blurb there, but but hey, if you would, if you really are enjoying and loving what we've been sharing here these last couple of weeks on this theme of Protestantism and its relevancy, and it's particularly for today and this week, why don't you text the code word here in the studio? Uh, text the code SA65 to zero four triple eight. 80811 for your free copy of God's Holy Word. SA65 to the number 04888880811. And look, by the way, I should tell our listeners who the author is. It's actually Ellen G. White, and she has written some amazing um, uh, books on the life of Christ and church history. And so you would do well to get yourself a free copy of that. So text that code word in one more time, SA65 to 04888. 80811 and our friendly bot will get in touch with you, get your details and we'll get that copy out to you as soon as we can. And so for now, please don't go away. We're just going to go to some music. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. Rise up and overflow my 
by City Light. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, BQ&A. Just before the break, we are just offering our free book offer for today and the rest of this week. And if you've just tuned in, I'd like to just promote the free book offer just one more time. Uh, the book is called God's Holy Word, Is It Still Worth Dying For? by the author Ellen G. White. And the book takes a, a look at church history, particularly uh, the early church during the Dark Ages, which led to the Protestant Reformation under Luther, Hus Jerome, and others. If you would like a free copy of this book, and I really want to encourage you to uh, text that through because you will love uh, this book. God's Holy Word, is it still worth dying for? Please text the code word uh, here in the studio, SA65 to 04888. Eight zero eight double one, and our friendly bot will get in touch with you, get your details, and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. I will probably promote the the book one more time before the end of our show. And so, again, welcome back to Faith FM Drive Time BQ and A. My name is Pastor Will, and my co-host is Pastor Don Felberg. Joining us all the way from Perth, Western Australia. Our theme for this week, and it has been for the last couple of weeks as well, is Protestantism. Still needed in the third millennium. And today, Don and I were looking at the question, has the church of the reformers fallen away? And so, Don, um, yeah, maybe it might be wise for our listeners to maybe, uh, maybe a bit of a review, a bit of a recap, because I know you touched on this, um, a little bit last week. And, uh, I guess, sorry, at the top of the, uh, the whole series, actually, I think a couple of weeks now ago. So, um, yeah, why don't you spend the first few minutes, a bit of a review, and then dive into, um, this question or try to tackle the question, has the church, um, of the reformers actually fallen away? Go ahead, Don. Thank you, Pastor Will. Yes. Yeah, just as a little review, um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul made an astounding prediction, a shocking prediction, really. He said, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the coming of Christ, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. And uh, so he said that to the Thessalonian believers, there would be a falling away from the truth. There would be an apostasy. And in Acts chapter 20 and verses 28 to 30, he was talking to the Ephesian elders and uh, he said to them, you know, strange things are going to come in, uh, false things are going to come into the church from outside and also among yourselves men will arise that will teach wrong things. Right. 
And so we saw how those prophecies were fulfilled as we, as um, a few programs ago, we saw how the church of the early centuries began compromising, all sorts of teachings crept in that Jesus and Peter and Paul knew nothing about. And um, things like image worship, confession to a priest, the worship of Mary and the saints, purgatory, indulgences, relics were worshipped, and so the list goes on. Now, church history teaches that groups who oppose these things often were bitterly persecuted. Okay. And uh, you mentioned uh, when you were advertising the, the book offer, people like the Waldenses, and we spent a program talking about them, but the Albigenses, the Huguenots, I've been to southern France and I've seen amazing things there, whole lists of people who were martyred because of the word of God, it said. Well, one by one, God raised up reformers to restore biblical teachings and direct people back to the Bible, like you mentioned. Luther, Tyndale, Knox, Wesley, and many of these people never planned to start their own church. Like, for example, Martin Luther, he thought that when he shared his his discoveries from the Bible with his superiors and with the church leaders, that they would rejoice to hear them and the whole church would be reformed. He had no idea of ever leaving the church, but he was put out, and so those who agreed with him, they met together, and thus, for example, the Lutheran church was formed. And uh, various Protestant churches came into being to proclaim truths that had been trodden down over the century. And um, I have a an interesting text here in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, where God through prophet Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, yeah. then you will find rest yes. for your souls. Mm. And so these reformers, they were, as they were reading their Bibles, they were finding the good way, the right way that would bring rest uh, from their their struggles. Right. Uh, another challenge Isaiah gave in Isaiah 58 verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Yes. And so truths that had been broken down were restored by uh, these reformers, uh, one by one, bit by bit, over the centuries. Now we could ask, has the Church of the Reformers fallen away. We saw how the early church fell away and we've looked at that and reviewed that briefly now. But what about the church of the reformers? Well, I have an interesting book here, Pastor Will. Yeah. I uh, I bought the Westminster Confession of Faith. Okay. And this book was first published in 1646. Uh, we talked the other day about John Knox 
and uh, he was involved in this. He was the founder of the Presbyterian Church, and this book was produced as really a statement of what they believed the Bible taught. Now, in the copy that I have here, my copy is dated 1976, and on the on the dust cover, there is a... Uh, uh, a little introduction to the book, and I read this statement. It says, since the above endorsement in 1647, that is when uh, this book was approved by the uh, the scholars of the assembly there in, in the 17th century, it says, since the above endorsement in 1647, much has transpired in the realm of theology and doctrine. And then it says this, Pastor Will, sad to say, there has been a serious retrogression from the doctrinal attainments of the confession. Okay. So here this book uh, that has the Westminster Confession of Faith, the authors are saying that in reprinting it, and directing people's minds to it, they are aware of the fact that over the 350 years since it was first uh, published, there has been quite a retrogression. Okay, you're that, right. That's saying there's been a falling away. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. It, it, it sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, 25 years ago, Pastor Will, I was pastor in Launceston in Tasmania. Yep. And Ian McPherson was the religious editor of the Examiner. That's the um, the main secular newspaper for Launceston area. Right. And Ian McPherson, he wrote an article reflecting on a previous article that he had found in in the secular press, which had been entitled "Moses Shall Turn in Grave." <laughs> and so Ian McPherson wrote these words in the Launceston newspaper. He said, A recent survey of 200 Church of England vicars in the UK revealed that 31% did not believe in the virgin birth. Wow. This is ministers. 21% did not believe in the devil. And 12% did not expect a second coming. And 5% did not believe Jesus performed miracles. Wow. And uh, he says the poll also discovered that almost two-thirds of the vicars could not remember all of the Ten Commandments. It said many of them could only remember two, the one about not committing adultery and the one about not taking your na- coveting your neighbor's wife. <laughs> he said, but anyway, he goes on to say, he says, although I'm not surprised by the results of the UK poll, it still amazes me that people can go through a theology training college and eventually be ordained as Christian ministers without ever believing in fundamental points of the Christian faith. He's writing this in the general newspaper. He says, you would think that believing in the virgin birth the resurrection, the devil, the second coming would be a prerequisite. Right. Maybe, he says, and this is Ian saying, he says, maybe the church is so short of applicants that it can't afford to be fussy. Wow. Or maybe even the church doesn't know what it believes anymore. 
So and then he says, if those UK vicars don't believe in the second coming, then they presumably don't believe in the resurrection either, which would mean they believe Jesus was a liar and a fake. And there they are, he says, preaching from the pulpit in a Christian church. No wonder, he says, so many churches are spiritually dead or empty. Wow. So you, well, that's what, you, you that's actually met this... You met this guy. Yeah, I knew him. I got to know him quite well. We became quite good friends, Ian and I, because he would write a religious article uh, in the newspaper every week, and often he would comment on things that were happening in the secular press, a bit like what you are doing there with with your... um, Well watch segment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, similar to that. And so anyway... um, what happened the next week? He interviewed the Uniting Church minister. Uh oh. <laughs> and uh, he, he did it in question and answer form. That's how he published it in the newspaper. Right. He just he put the question he asked, and he put the answer the minister gave him. Okay, so what so is question? It? Yep. So question number one, Will: Would the virgin birth be one of the things that you doubt? No, because this minister had said to him that he had some some doubts. In fact, his his whole article was titled "Elements of Doubt." So he said, "Would the virgin birth be one of the things that you doubt?" And the minister replied, "Yes, I don't regard the virgin birth as a really central idea in the Christian faith as to whether you're a Christian or not." So Ian asked, "What about the resurrection?" With the resurrection, I'm sure something happened, but I don't know exactly what it was. Wow. And then another question, and the second coming. He says, I'm prepared to live as if it is going to happen, but I have no idea if it will or when. Wow. And so... I, I just ask you, um, Pastor Will, do you think that's the falling away of the Church of the Reformers? Wow. I'd have to it, say. It, mm. it, it certainly is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the virgin birth, here he's saying, well, you don't really have to believe that. And, and uh, in fact, in, Ian, in the, in the um, survey that they, was done in England, it said... Thirty-one percent of the vicars didn't believe in the virgin birth. So, by contrast, I mean, how can you how can you say that when the Bible is very clear regarding the virgin birth? For example, just one text, Pastor Will, Matthew chapter one mm-hmm. and verses twenty and twenty-one. Yep. But while he thought about these things, this is Joseph. Yes. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Pretty clear. And there's there's other texts, Pastor Will, but... The virgin birth is clearly taught in the Bible. Yes. And, and, for, and for ministers to say, no, that's not necessary. 
That's a falling away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The resurrection. I was, amazed, I was interested in his answer where he said, I'm sure something happened, but I don't know exactly what did happen. I mean, Pastor Will, it's, it's almost humorous if it wasn't so serious. Yeah. And, and the resurrection. I mean, the Bible is, is the Apostle Paul. You talk to the Apostle Paul about the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he lists the people that saw him in his resurrected form. And uh, then he even gets more powerful. Down in verse 14, he says, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Verses 17 to 19, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And so, so does you know it what, sound like Paul? So we know what it sounds like, Don. Sorry to in, just interject here, but you're basically answering this question that we're looking at today. Has the church of the reformers fall away? And you are giving a real life firsthand account from your pastoral ministry experience in Tassie. Where you yes. encountered this fella, you know, that was writing for the examiner. Here he is, yes. like, you know, not secondhand, you know, um, information. He is directly interacting with, you know, these various, um, church clergy, ministers yes. and priests and, you know, bishops and whatnot. And, um, basically well, he's, don't he's, halt he's, to some of these core tenets of the Christian faith. And he's not just sharing his views of what might be happening. He's letting these fellows speak for themselves. Yeah. And they're, they're themselves, they're saying, no, we don't believe these things. So what I'm so, hearing yeah. is, yeah, because what you did, John, is you you went to the text in Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul talked about a falling away. Um, I, yeah. believe the, I believe that the way, where we get the word falling away is from, I understand it, it's the Greek word there in the New Testament, uh, I think something along the lines of apostates or something to that effect, which translates to apostasy in English. So, here, so this is what I'm hearing from in the studio, Don. We're asking this big question, and you having firsthand experience um, from your ministry experience in Tassie about real yeah. pastors and ministers of these, of uh, you know, some of these reformed churches who yeah. today do not hold to some of these. Well, seemingly that were very clear, um, you know, fundamental doctrines of beliefs regarding Jesus, yeah. the resurrection. And this is what, this was what, back in the 70s, was it? Or Yeah, uh, no, no, this is the 90s. Oh, the 90s. <laughs> yeah, 1997. Wow. That's not really the dark ages, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of trying to scratch my head here thinking, yeah, how do you... How do they kind of arrive at these, you know, their their conclusions when they're standing up before their congregations week in week out? And you read a text like you just read in Matthew, you know, she, yeah. you know, the the child will be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and how they come to another conclusion—it's actually mind blowing, to be honest. 
Well, like Ian says here, he said, it amazes me that people can go through a theology training college and eventually be ordained as Christian ministers without ever believing in fundamental points of the Christian faith. Yeah. It does amaze you, doesn't it, you know? And I think it just needs to be said as well, Don, because we're not trying to judge all these people or anything because, you know, everyone, there may be people listening today, they, they may not be totally, you know, uh, be able to really understand some of these things. Um, but, at the, but what we're trying to say is these are, you know, men who've gone into ministry, they've gone to study, and they come from these faith traditions who very – were very firm uh, reformers. They, they they traced their lineage back to Calvin and Luther and these these giants of the Protestant Reformation. And here yeah. it is, some few centuries later. Um, don't believe in the virgin birth. Don't believe in the resurrection. Don't believe. Maybe even, I don't know what their stance is upon the the inspiration of the Bible, but. But that is quite, um, you know, as Jesus would put it, I would say, it's the signs of yes. the times. Yeah. It's almost like so, this is not just a, a, a huge prophetic kind of uh, vision or, you know, this kind of, this is what's going to happen in terms of these these big powers or, you know, these big players and when it comes to prophecy. But we're talking about individuals, you know, people, yeah. you know, um and, and I would hasten to say, Pastor Will, that there are members of these churches who are really saddened by by these trends because yeah. they they have gone to the Bible themselves. They do believe the virgin birth, the resurrection, and so on, and they're deeply hurt by what the leaders of uh, yes. or some of their leaders are saying and voting. Hey, hey, Don, well, why I, did, Don, why didn't you hold on to that thought? Because I think that's a very good. I would like you maybe just to share a little bit more of that in, in a couple of minutes, but we just need to go to a break real quick, and, okay. uh, and then I'd like to bring you back for the last segment and uh, really just round this off for us today, okay? So, yeah, I'm just going to promote the free book offer once more on today's program. The book is God's Holy Word, Is It Still Worth Dying For? And uh, the author is Ellen White, and really it's a book that goes into the um, – really goes into the church history with the Reformers, uh, the whole Protestant Reformation, and how God raised up Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome, and others, Luther, um, you know, to really as a reaction to, um, you know, the, the current setting that they found themselves in. And so we would love to give you that free book uh, as our book offer today. Um, if you'd like a free copy, why don't you text uh, the code word here into the studio, SA65 to 04888. Eight zero eight double one. One more time. That's the code word SA six five to zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. Text the code word in, and our friendly bot will get in touch with you, get your details, and and get that book out to you as soon as possible. So we'll just go to a song now, and we'll be back in just a few moments. Um, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ and A. Free. 
That was City of Light, yet not I, but Christ in me. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, Big Q&A. Myself, Pastor Will Moala, and my co-host, Pastor Don Felberg, joining us all the way from Perth, WA. We've been looking at the theme this week, is Protestantism, <laughs> let me repeat that one time, is Protestantism still needed in the third millennium? And today, Don and I have been looking at the question, has the Church of the Reformers fall away? So in the remaining minutes we got left, uh, Don, uh, Pastor Don, um, maybe some closing thoughts on this. We are talking about your experience in Tassie and some of the clergy's uh, different perspectives on some of these, I guess, core tenets of the Christian faith. Um, mm. And then you were, yeah, before the break, you talked, the, you talked on about the, um, that's even some of the, the constituents within these particular congregations may not necessarily yeah. um, be in line with some of, um, some of the trends that are happening. That's very true, Pastor Will. And I think uh, fast forward 25 years to today, and I think some of them are even more disturbed. For example, I have here the Premier Christian News, uh, 30th of June, 2022. And one of the headings is John Wesley's first Methodist chapel um, to allow same-sex marriage. The world's oldest Methodist building announced it will be officiating same-sex marriages. Very interesting that um, the deputy um, or the vice chair, I should say, of the Methodist Evangelicals together, the Reverend Gareth Higgs, was saddened by this decision and he made the comment, we do know what he, that is Wesley, thought when he was alive and he affirmed the only pattern of marriage that we find in Scripture, which is that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so to suggest that we don't know what he thought is wrong. I'm sure there are many um, dear Christian people, Bible-believing people, who are very uh, concerned about what is happening. Uh, on, on another, I've got another article here, this one from Wikipedia, and it makes this uh, disturbing comment. It says, All of the traditional mainline Protestant denominations support or accept theistic evolution. For example, on the 12th of February 2006, the 197th anniversary of Charles Darwin's birth was commemorated, would you believe, Pastor Will, by Evolution Sunday, that's what it was called, where the message that followers of Christ do not have to choose between biblical stories of creation and evolution was taught in classes and sermons at many Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Unitarian, Congregationalist, United Church of Christ, Baptist and Community Churches. And Eugenie Scott I went on to say that in one form or another, theistic evolution is the view of creation taught at the majority of mainline Protestant seminaries, and it is the official position of the Catholic Church. Talk about a falling away. I mean, not only Moses, but Wesley shall turn in his grave if he heard those things. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certainly been a, a falling away, not just from the teachings of the founders, like Wesley and Luther and so on, but a falling away from the clear and plain teachings of the Bible. 
Yeah. Um, Matthew 19, just on this question, Matthew, I'd, I'd refer our readers again to what Jesus said. Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them at the, begin- at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's the words of Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, he, he's quoting Old Testament, but, but that's New Testament teaching. When it comes to creation, Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And that's taught. Creation is taught right throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Yeah. And, um, you know, Pastor Will, we could talk about the subject of alcohol. You know, the, the Methodist Church, used, as, as well as many others, used to stand strongly against alcohol. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, Proverbs 20 and verse 1. When I was a young pastor in Timor in New South Wales, one of the, the, the uniting pastor in fact said, uh, could you Adventists run some sort of a program to help people with alcohol? He said, we've got quite, a, quite an alcohol problem here. And so I put together a program and then I said to him, will you come and stand with me and support me? Oh, 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 no, he said, I, since we've become the uniting church, we've got Presbyterians uh, among us and they don't have the same stand against alcohol that we as Methodists have. So he said, no, I won't stand with you. Wow. A falling away. And, uh, you know, Pastor Will, I, I think the challenge is for us all to make sure we go back to the Bible. And it's interesting on that flyleaf of the Westminster thing there, it, uh, it, it encouraged the members, uh, encouraged the readers to, to recognize the supreme place of the Word of God in matters of faith and practice. And that's what we need to do. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we're in danger of being led astray. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, yep. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Yeah, Our safeguard is is the Word of God. And Revelation 18, verse 4, in this context, there is a call in these last days that says, come out of her, that's out of Babylon, out of religious confusion, come out of her, my, my people. people. Yeah. My people. God has people, some of his dear people, where they oughtn't to be, yeah. and he's calling them to come out. You say, come out to what? Well, Revelation fourteen twelve. it says, here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith yeah. of Jesus. Amen. That's what we need to, we need to be in line with Jesus and in line with his commandments. That's solid and safe ground. Amen. 
Well, I'm so excited as well because our time's up for today, Don, but just for our listeners out there, tomorrow yourself and uh, Pastor Gary are going to be looking at the topic, uh, what can the Reformation teach us today? And I, I think you guys are going to dive into the Bible and so really picking up what yeah. you're talking about today. So, yeah, um, yeah any just a final word there, Don, before we sign out? Oh, um, I did have another text that I got time for it. Um, Probably got second Peter, second Peter chapter two verses one and two. But he says, "But there were also false prophets among the people, as even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways." Oh, dear friends, this is a warning from the Apostle Peter. Surely we need to take heed. There has been a falling away, and we need to hold fast to Jesus and to the Bible. Amen. Well, hey, Don, we're going to have to stop it there, but uh, thank you for your input and your sharing today, Don. Thank you to our listeners out there. Our time's up today. Um, please join us uh, tomorrow as Don and Pastor Gary will look at the topic, what can the Reformation teach us today? And so until then, we just leave you with the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Until next time, may God richly bless you.